and good morning. It is uh, a holiday weekend, and we're excited to share this uh, Memorial Day weekend uh, with you, of course, honoring all those that have uh, served our country, and uh, we're grateful to be able to, to worship in freedom today uh, because of it and because of the providence of, of God. And uh, this is also um, Sawdust Sunday, is what we, we're calling it. <clears throat> we have a little bit of uh, construction going around, of course. Um, what we're doing, just if you didn't know, is that we are uh, taking uh, the flooring that we've had and covering it up with some, some nice laminate, hardwood-looking flooring. This, it's, over here is what it's going to look like uh, in the future, and so uh, hopefully this next week, uh, just throughout the whole space. The idea of what, what we are up to is we're taking this particular space, and on Sunday mornings, we are turning it into kids' ministry uh, for families here in, in our, our, our community of our church and also in the neighborhood, and invited families to be a part of what God is doing in OCC, making a space just for them. And so we've got room dividers already here coming and all of that, and it's going to be great. So that means that next Sunday, we're going to be worshiping downstairs in the theater in nice cushioned seats. You're going to love it. It's going to be great. Um, I'm kind of like elevated today above you, a little bit higher than maybe normal. Um, but, but downstairs, you're going to be like on stadium seating. So you're going to be elevated above me. So I'll look even shorter uh, than normal at that point. But uh, we're excited to be worshiping uh, downstairs uh, so that we can create this for kids here. And looking forward to see what God does for it. Uh, we're going for it for at least, at least the summer, if not the foreseeable future. Uh, and it's asking that the Lord would move. Uh, in our midst. So uh, glad that we're here to celebrate really our last, uh, our last Sunday then potentially in, in this space. Um, we've been in here for just at a year. The first Sunday in June, we moved in uh, to this space. So it's been amazing to see how, the God, how God continues to work. Um, if you've been around uh, for a few weeks, you know that we are in a brand new sermon series, a brand new, it's been around for a few weeks now, a sermon series in the Gospel of Luke called Outside In. And the hope in this particular series is that we will be equipped with a robust evangelicalism in which the gospel is unleashed, mission is mobilized, and the Christian self-understanding is refined of who Jesus is. You see what happens when the gospel reaches the outsider, those people that we think really may not be in on the things of God. When the gospel reaches them, it causes Christians on the inside to then rediscover Jesus. And hopefully that has been our journey thus far through the gospel of Luke. And as we continue through this amazing gospel, we've broken it down into four different sections. And so the first section in chapters 1 through 4 was all about Jesus' ministry and his preparation then rather for his ministry. In chapter 4, it begins then his public ministry there in Galilee all the way through chapter 9. And then last week in chapter 9, we saw that Jesus, he, he's shifting now to, to move towards Jerusalem to go to the cross. And so his ministry that takes place in chapters 9 through 19 is ministry that is on the way to Jerusalem, on the way to the cross. And so this week, what we're looking at is one of the, the parables that he shares with his followers as he is headed to the cross. Next week, we'll also look at another parable that Jesus teaches in Luke 15. Before three weeks from now, we will join him at Luke 19 and see Jesus ministering to an outsider before he gets to Jerusalem. As we progress from verse 51 of chapter 9, to verse 28 in chapter 19, the number of miracles that Jesus performs, uh, they begin to decrease. His public teachings become a little bit 
shorter. And even the crowds that are following after Jesus become a little bit smaller as he then moves to the cross. And we see the climax of the gospel of Jesus there being crucified, resurrected, and ascending into heaven. So admittedly, in this part of the sermon series, as the, as the, as the miracles become a little bit more less frequent and the crowds are a little bit smaller, we're going to pick up the pace. As we journey towards Jerusalem and we see what Jesus has for his followers and also has for us. Uh, Today's text will be in Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 37. I'm going to invite my friend Steve uh, to come and he's going to get set here to read. As he comes, um, I'll give a more formal introduction of him next week. Um, He is coming to us next week to preach. And uh, he and his wife, Jennifer, have just joined uh, One Community Church as members. So we are excited about them being part of our church family, excited about his spiritual guidance, too, in our church. And he's going to be reading for us. Before he does, uh, let us pray. Father, we thank you uh, for your word. We know that in it itself is life. And so we come today uh, to drink from your word, that you may pour into us so that we would listen and that we would obey. We pray this in the strong name of Jesus, who is the Christ. Amen. Reading from uh, God's word, the book of Luke, chapter 10, starting in verse 25. It says this, And then an expert in the law stood up to test him, saying, Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law? He, Jesus, asked him. How do you read it? He answered, Love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your strength and with all of your mind and your neighbor as yourself. You've answered correctly, he told him. Do this and you will live. But wanting to justify himself, he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus took up the question and said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him, they beat him, and fled, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down that road. When he saw him, he passed on the other side. In the same way, a Levite, when he arrived at that place and saw him, passed by the other side. But a Samaritan, on a journey, came up to him, and when he came and saw the man, he had compassion. He went over to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on olive oil and wine. Then he put him on his own animal, brought him to the inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said, Take care of him. When I come back, I'll reimburse you for whatever extra you spend. Which of these three do you think proved to be the neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The one who showed mercy to him, he said. Then Jesus told him, Go and do the same. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Uh, Steve is a, a scooter man. Uh, he, he has a scooter that he rides around the city. He's also uh, r- ridden the scooter all the way from New York to, the, to California on a road trip across the country. So that's pretty impressive. Um, I, too, am, am, have been a scooter guy. Um, I, I finally got rid of my scooter when, when we had a baby. It didn't make, make sense for me to risk my life anymore. <laughs> so um, it, it is interesting, though, when, when you uh, ride a motorcycle or a scooter, the question that often comes with it is, is not uh, if you're going to get in a wreck, but when 
you're going to get in a wreck, and, and how to be safe when, when, when that happens, how to prepare for that moment. And I'm not wishing anything like that on Steve, of course, uh, but I actually did experience a little bit of a wreck while on, uh, on my scooter. Um, I was uh, riding the scooter from Queens uh, to Manhattan, and I was about to enter onto the Queensboro Bridge, and uh, before the bridge, there is a stoplight. And so I saw it. It was red. I came to a stop at the stoplight. The car behind me, however, did not see the stoplight. And so uh, fortunately, though, it did see me at the last minute, and it swerved and just kind of clipped me a little bit as it was swerving around me. It knocked the bike out from under me, and then I went sliding the other way on the, on the pavement. And uh, after I came to a stop, I, I kind of got my bearings and made sure that all my, my, my limbs were still connected and working. And then I ran out to the middle of the road, got my scooter and drug it, away, drug it off and away. And then I just sat there, like just in so much pain. And, and I, was, I was scarred up and bleeding and all that kind of stuff. And, and finally, the guy that was driving the car got out of the car and he came over to me. And he said to me, well, it happens. <laughs> Like, what? You just hit me with your car. Like, I'm not even, I wasn't even in a car. You literally physically hit my body with your car, and all you got to say to me, well, it, it happens. Like, where's the compassion, right, in, in that? Uh, yes, uh, I was okay. I had called, called my wife and, like, helped me get some bandages ready for when I get home. This is not a good situation. But I, I, I was okay. Um, as we come to the text today, uh, we do see this parable. Uh, that we probably know pretty well if you've been around church long enough. Matter of fact, it was a parable that I, I knew from when I was a kid. There's a man who's lying on the side of the road, and he is hurting, and he has been, he, he's been money's been taken from him, and he's been robbed, he's been, he's been beat up, and he's been left for dead. And the question then is, who is the one that has compassion on this poor man, Right? And you, we learn from the parable an important lesson, and we're going to get there. But I think to discover the deeper lesson for what God wants to do in our heart is we have to understand the context that this lesson, this parable actually comes within. It's not just a, a standalone parable. Jesus is there, and he's with his followers, and a man comes to him, an expert of the law comes to him, and he asks Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life. He wants to know. I, I, want to, I want to have the life that God has for me. Maybe you wouldn't ask it that way. Maybe you would say, hey, what's the, how can I get to the good life? How can I experience the life that I've always dreamed of? What does it take for me to, to get to that type of life? And that's the type of question that this man had as he comes to Jesus and asks him what he must do to inherit eternal life. Now, Jesus, he effortlessly flips the script, doesn't he? He answers the question with another question. And so we pick up in Luke 10, verse 25, this account of this law expert that comes to Jesus. There, there an expert in the law stood up to test him, saying, Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus, asking this question, answering his question with asking another question, says, What is written in the law? He asked him. How do you read it? And then the law expert answers with what seems to be a pretty sufficient answer for what, what he's getting at and what Jesus asked of him. And he says this in verse 27. He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said, you've answered correctly. Do this, 
and you will live. You will get the life that you've, that you've always wanted, that in, eternal life that you're talking about, that, that life that God has for you, what you've dreamed of. If you do this, then you will get exactly what you are looking for. Now, the expert of the law is not just a, a typical lawman. He is an expert in the first five books of the Bible. So we're talking about a, a biblical type of a lawyer that is an expert understanding the laws of Moses and the, the commandments that are given. And what he does when Jesus asks him his opinion, he basically summarizes all of the law, all of the books of Moses, all of the commands that were given. And he summarizes them in such a way that Jesus himself has summarized them. Jesus was asked in Mark chapter 12, what's the greatest commandment? And Jesus took all of the commandments and summarized them into two. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, strength, and mind. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And so this man gives a very similar answer to what Jesus has given when trying to understand what is required of the Bible, required of the, the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, the law. He gets it. He knows what's, what is supposed to be said in this moment. But Jesus backs him into a corner. He says, Go and do this. Do this, and you'll get the life that you've always wanted. And that's the problem. Because this expert of the law knows full well that he has not loved God perfectly, and that he has not loved neighbor as himself. And so the life that he wants, he knows that he is incapable of achieving it because he has been incapable of perfectly loving God and showing compassion to neighbor. And so we see this man, he is exposed for, for who he is. Luke lets us know a little bit more about what's going on in his heart as he comes to Jesus looking for this life that, that he would want, that this, this good life, this eternal life. Uh, Luke lets us know a little bit more about what's going on in his heart. From the outset, we see that his motives are not pure and his question is not honest as he has come to test, to test the teacher. He's trying to find a loophole in all of this. Trying to challenge Jesus to say something else that he can do so that he can get the eternal life that he's looking for. I can't keep all of this that I've been commanded to keep. I fail at it. So just give me something to do. The, the, the way he phrases it is like, give me one thing to do so that I can check it off and I can have the life that God wants me to have. He's trying to test and, and challenge. He thinks that maybe the answer is Jesus is going to say to him, follow me. For That's what he's been saying to his disciples, follow me. And yeah, that's part of the answer for sure. But he doesn't get the problem and how deep of a problem that he is actually facing. He is trying to justify himself. We see this in chapter 10, verse 29. Luke lets us know a little bit of commentary about this man. But wanting to justify himself, he asked Jesus... And who is my neighbor? He is a man that knows the law and knows what he needs to do and knows that he's incapable of it. And so what he's trying to do in this moment, because he can't get over the high bar that has been set for him to get to the life that he's always wanted, what he's trying to do is to lower the bar so that he can do this one thing 
and find that life. Just to get over this, this, this bar that, is, that has been set. He's trying to do it in his own strength. He's trying to justify himself instead of having Jesus be the one that justifies him. He's asking, who is my neighbor? Thinking that Jesus will give him a, a little bit more clarity on the particular person that he is to love. And what he's trying to do is correct all of his inadequacies by his works. He should have asked this question. How can someone find eternal life if they have failed to love God and his neighbor perfectly? That should have been the question that he asked. He should have been honest about what was going on in his life and all of his failures and, and asking Jesus then, because of my failures, how do I still get to that eternal life? If we're honest, that's probably where we all are. We have a bunch of places in our lives where we haven't lived up to what God has asked of us. We have a lot of places in our life where we haven't loved God perfectly and fully. We have a lot of moments in our life where we haven't, we haven't loved the neighbor well. We haven't been compassionate towards those that, that are in need and, and those that have, have, have deep uh, places where they're struggling. We, we, we know that we have failed time and time again to keep the law that has been given to us. And so our question today should be, how can someone find the life that God has for them, eternal life, if they have failed to love God and neighbor perfectly. We're incapable of getting there. We can't lower the bar. And even if we could lower the bar, we probably couldn't even get over that bar. We're incapable to do what God has asked of us. And we're helpless. And we're missing out on the good life. Eternal life. Unless someone comes along. That's the context for the parable of the Good Samaritan. This dilemma that this expert of the law is in. And so what I want to do is first just kind of share the, the, the parable of the, the Good Samaritan in, in a way that probably you heard it before. Uh, a way that we understand the characters and, and the moral lesson that is here. Uh, the, the journey that this, um, that this man is on that gets beaten up and robbed and left for dead is a journey from Jerusalem to Jericho. Now, it is a treacherous but commercially important 17-mile route. And so people do use this route walking from to Jerusalem to Jericho often, but you hardly ever do it alone. Because there are many twists and turns and caves that people can hide in, or particularly in this story, where robbers are definitely hiding in to be able to attack this man and to take his money and to leave him for dead. That's the, that's the journey that he's on from Jerusalem to Jericho in this particular parable. The man that, that is on the side of the road... We don't know much about him. We know that in this parable, he, the robbers, they strip him, they beat him up, and they leave him for dead. But unfortunately, he probably is a fictional person that represents other people that this actually happened to many times on this route from Jerusalem to Jericho. It was not a place that you would go alone. It was a place that you would need to be, provide safety for yourself as you traveled. So let's pick it up and read this parable that Jesus tells after he encounters this expert of the law in verse 30, chapter 10, verse 30. And Jesus took up the question and said, 
a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell into the hand of robbers. And they stripped him, and they beat him up and fled, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So, so, that, so that you know, a, a, a priest is a religious leader of Israel who serves as an intermediary between God and God's people. So this is a religious man that sees the man on the side of the road that is half dead. And instead of going to help the man, he goes by on the other side. Now, before you judge too harshly, if you see something that looks a little bit off, you, you don't quite understand what's going on, maybe you see a man laying there in a pool of blood, maybe you kind of pass by on the other side, fearing for your own safety, right? That's what this religious man does. And then we see not only is it a priest who passes by on the other side, in the same way, a Levite, which is a particular type of priest that cares for the tabernacle and the temple. The Levite, when he arrived at the place and saw him, what did he do? Well, he passed by on the other side. Verse 33. But a Samaritan. A Samaritan on his journey came up to him, and when he saw the man, he had compassion. Samaria is the capital city of the northern kingdom of Israel. And I talked about it last week, but the Samaritans and the Jews did not get along. And what we saw last week was that Jesus sent a couple of his disciples ahead to Samaria to prepare the town for ministry as Jesus was coming through. He was wanting to pass through there and to minister to people on his way to Jerusalem. But the Samaritans wanted nothing to do with Jesus. And nothing to do with these Jewish disciples. So they rejected his ministry. And so the disciples come back to Jesus and they say, do you want us to burn down the city? They wanted nothing to do with Samaria to begin with. They didn't want to go there in the first place. And now that they've been rejected by them, we see the true colors come out from the disciples. You see, the Samaritans thought they were better than the Jewish people. They thought that they were the ones that had it all right. Jerusalem wasn't the holy place. It wasn't the place that Jesus and his followers should be going to. It wasn't the promised land. They, got, they had their own holy place, their own land that they, that they considered to be the place of worship. And, the, and that the, the Jewish people, they got it all wrong. The, the Jewish people then thought of the Samaritans more or less as a cult. You guys went off on this random beaten path and did your own thing and pulled away from the faith that you once knew. They did not like one another. And so the Samaritan here being portrayed as the compassionate hero would have surprised the Jewish lawman and the disciples, the followers of Jesus. It would have been surprising for them. So what's the moral of the story? The moral then is that we should see the Samaritan, an outsider, showing compassion to a neighbor. And then how much more should we as insiders do for others? If we see the, the Samaritan, the outsider, showing compassion for neighbor, then how much more should we as insiders do for others? I like this quote by uh, Martin Luther King Jr. Uh, I think it's a, it's a, it's a great uh, quote around this parable. The first question uh, which the priest and Levite asked was, if I stop <clears throat> to help this man, what will happen to me? But the good Samaritan reversed the question. If I do not stop to help this man, what will happen to him? 
think it's a good way to look at it. And I, I think that's encouraging for us to think about loving neighbor and to be able to get there. However, I think there's something else we should consider first. Who are the real characters in this story? I think we need to understand what Jesus is trying to say to us before we actually can get to a place where we can love neighbor well and we can love God. Sometimes we, we just catch the, this parable out of context, but in context, he's trying to help the, the, the lawman to understand what Jesus has done for him instead of him trying to justify himself. And so let's go through this, this story again. The man on the side of the road that is helplessly laying there, that is beaten up, about to die, that is needing someone to come by and be compassionate on the position that he is in in his life. Well, that's the expert of the law that is laying there, knowing that he is messed up, knowing that he cannot fulfill the law, knowing that he is he has failed time and time again. It's also you and me. We are the man in this parable that is laying on the side of the road that has been left for dead. The scripture says that with, without Christ, we, we are spiritually dead. And we are helpless without him. We, we need someone to come and to, to fix that which is broken, that which has been done to us. Unless someone comes to rescue us with sacrificial neighbor, neighbor type of love, we will certainly perish. But the Good Samaritan shows up in this story. Verse 34 of chapter 10, let's pick it back up. The Good Samaritan, he went over to him, this man, and, and bandaged his wounds, pouring on olive oil and wine. And then he put him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii, came, came, gave them to the innkeeper, and said, take care of him. When I come back, I'll reimburse you for, for whatever extra you spend. This is very helpful, over-extravagant compassion that is for this man. It wasn't just, hey, are you okay? No, I'm actually going to go out of my way to ensure that you're going to be okay. I'm going to sacrifice for you. I'm going to show you compassion by, by putting you on my animal, by taking you to the end, by, by paying for all of your bill, and I'm going to come back and pay for any other bills that you incur. This is like full restoration for this man. It's not just saying, we hope you're going to do better in life. No, I'm going to do something about it. I'm going to step in, and I'm going to change things for you at cost to me. This is the Good Samaritan, and Jesus is the ultimate Good Samaritan. God hasn't taken oil and, and healed our wounds, but instead took his blood and, and washed it over our sin so that our souls can find healing. And, and we found healing in such a way that we weren't just forgiven of our sin, but we were restored to God in a relationship with him, brought into the family of God, brought into the house of God. In a place that, that is not even our own, we were brought in, adopted in as sons and daughters. You see, you and I were once enemies of God, but only through the blood of Christ have we been made family, have we been brought in to be a part of something that we do not deserve. And it cost Jesus the cross where he's headed. You see, Jesus has now let his followers know 
I'm going to Jerusalem. I'm going to the cross. And now everything that Jesus does and says should be looked at through the lens of the gospel. This is not just a story about moralism where you need to love neighbor more. Yeah, we need to do that. But before we can get there, we have to come to the gospel. We're not really loving neighbor. We're not really loving God unless we come to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we find him in Jerusalem. And we find him at the cross. So what is our response supposed to look like? What does it look like for us to love God and, and to show compassion for others? Compassion begins when you see Christ's love for you. Compassion for others begins when you see Christ's love for you. But let's not twist it here. Let's not lower the bar. That's not what Jesus is asking of this expert of the law. No, let's not just lower the bar and just kind of just pat people in the back and say, you know, I hope you're okay. No, let's keep the bar high. Keep the bar high of what it means for us to show compassion to others and trust in Christ to be the one that works in us and through us. I've been reading a little bit more of um, the late Tim Keller these days. I'm very thankful for his, his leadership and his life that he lived in the city and the ministry that he led. Um, but we're here today um, because, because of what Tim Keller has done. Uh, if you didn't know, let's you know a little bit of uh, context. Uh, we talk about a little, little of this in membership class, but um, we, our primary church planting network, how we're able to pull this off is with the North American Mission Board. And, and uh, we, we love the efforts of the North American Mission Board, and I'm, I'm thankful to be a part of it. Um, our secondary network then, um, one of our secondary networks is City to City. It's a church planting network as well. And the person that started City to City um, out of his ministry was, was Tim Keller. So I'm very thankful. We wouldn't be here today without him. He says this about the high bar that is set for loving others. I just want to read this quote because it's very convicting. We instinctively tend to limit for whom we exert ourselves. We do it for people like us and for people whom we like. And Jesus will have none of that. By depicting a Samaritan helping a Jew, Jesus could not have found a more forceful way to say that anyone at all in need, regardless of race, politics, class, and religion, is your neighbor. Not everyone is your brother or sister in faith, but everyone is your neighbor, and you must love your neighbor. Well, how do we get there? <laughs> how, do, how do we be people that love neighbor like that? Jesus, he ends this parable, bringing it back to the expert in the law. And uh, he asked him a question about, you know, who do you think is proved out of these three people to be the, the neighbor that, that actually helped and was compassionate? Of course, the lawkeeper knows the answer. But then in verse 37, Jesus says this. The man says this first, the one who showed him, showed mercy to him, he said, and Jesus told him then, go and do the same. There's a key word there that 
the expert of the law gets in this moment that Jesus doesn't even expound on because he says it, and it's correct. He says, the one who showed mercy. You've got to be people that receive the mercy of Christ so that we then can live like Christ. I said it last week, and I'll say it again. We're going to fail along the way in living like Jesus. We're going to fail in loving our neighbor. We're going to fail in loving God. But, But the key in all of it is to receive the mercy of Christ when we fail so that we can continue to live like It's about transformation that takes place in our lives for us to be people that love neighbor well. We have to depend upon Jesus. It's not about our own moralism and us just checking off the right boxes. It's about us going to Jerusalem, going to the cross, and finding ourselves before Jesus, dependent upon his mercy to be the people that he has called us to be. How do you want to get to the good life? Follow Jesus. He's got it for you. May we be a people that love like Jesus, showing compassion to neighbors. I want to invite the band to come, and, and they're going to begin to play as we um, close here and start to think about prayer. But before we do, um, I, I made the decision, I told you, to finally get, get rid of my scooter. I think it was the right decision uh, for, for me staying alive. <laughs> um, before I actually got rid of my scooter, I, I, ended up, uh, I ended up being talked into selling it um, and taking that money and buying one of those electric unicycles. You've seen, you've seen those, right? <laughs> it's the one-wheel thing with, like, pedals on the side. and I mean, it's not really pedals. You just kind of lean forward, and it goes. And, and uh, I tried for about a year to, like, get good on, on that, and um, I never made it off the children's playground. Like, that's where I rode it trying to learn. And it was, of course, rubber, you know, flooring there. And there was a fence that you hold on to. And the most I ever went to was, like, two miles an hour. Like, I never – it's supposed to get, like, 30, 40 miles an hour, padded up on the street going for it, right? They're supposed to do with it. And I was like, no, I can't pull this off. And about to have a baby. Let, let's, let's do something else with this electric unicycle. Um, crazy thing was that the scooter that I had – before I sold it for the unicycle, was actually given to me uh, by a friend. Um, and uh, he gave it to me because someone else gave it to him. <laughs> uh, it's kind of like a hand-me-down scooter. Now, I feel like I upgraded because I sold it and got like a, a cool electric unicycle instead. But uh, when I was ready to get rid of it, I, I, I gave that unicycle away as well. It just made sense. It was given to me in the first place. Nothing I did for it, right? When we see that Jesus has given us his mercy, given us his grace, there's nothing that we did for him. It helps us be the most generous, compassionate people on the planet. And what I want to encourage us all to do is to step deeper into his mercy and his grace. And as we do, we're going to step deeper into loving neighbor more. We'll step deeper into loving God more we see what Jesus has done for us. So take a moment just to bow your head and we're gonna, I'm going to lead you through some questions here. I want to invite you just to listen to the Holy Spirit to help you answer um, these questions. First question, how has Jesus been compassionate to you? Where have you seen his compassion in your life? 
Second question, where have you tried to justify yourself instead of trusting in the gospel? Where have you tried to justify yourself instead of trusting in the gospel? And third question, how is Jesus asking you to be compassionate to your neighbor, especially those that are not like you? How is Jesus asking you to be compassionate to your neighbor, especially those that are not like you? Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for the cross. We thank you that in in Christ we have found everything that we need. Father, forgive us when we have tried to find uh, life in other places. Forgive us when we try to um, achieve life on our own merit. Father, thank you that Christ has, has given up everything for us so that we may be with him. God, I pray that as we understand the cross more and we love God more, that you help us to be more compassionate people as well, loving others. God, I pray that you would put us in a place where we're depending on you to love others well. I'm not trying to do it for my own strength. Father, we thank you for sending us Jesus, the ultimate good Samaritan, who has loved us. May we also love others. Praise in Jesus' name.